I'm talking to all the advocates right now that are being taught that strategy to be fake, to fake nice, to fake pretend, to get connected to them. It is not harming the legislator that you're being fake with. It is harming you. It is depleting your physiology and has you on your back step. Fake is not a strategy. It is better to not build relationships than to do it fake. Welcome to the Blueprint for California Advocates podcast. My name is Christina Boss Hamilton. I'm your host. I'm also the founder of KBH Advocacy, a progressive consulting firm based in Sacramento, California. If you value this content, if you've listened to an episode and you thought, wow, I really learned something today, I want to encourage you to do a couple of things. First, hit that subscribe button on whatever player you're listening to the podcast. If it's YouTube, Apple Podcasts, wherever, make sure that you subscribe so that you automatically get access to the next episodes as they come out. Secondly, sign up for the free blueprint for California Advocates newsletter. Only the top value that you come to expect from the Blueprint podcast delivered straight to your email. You can do that at kbhadvocacy.com forward slash subscribe. And please forward this episode, forward the newsletter, forward other episodes to your network so that we can get the word out because this information needs to be heard by as many people as we can make possible who are looking to build a California that truly works for all people. Thank you. Hello, Christina Harbridge. I'm so happy to have you on the Blueprint for California Advocates podcast. You are a very special guest. Since we have the same name, it makes us bonded. And this episode took forever to get scheduled. So thank you for your flexibility. And I'm so excited to have this conversation because I know that what you're going to say is going to be so valuable and people need to hear it. I'd love if you take a moment to introduce yourself and let the audience know where you started and where you're at right now. Oh, wow. That is a really hard question. Because <laughs> that's where do I start? Where it is? We could go start post-college. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> sounds great. Sounds great. So I always want to honor my father and my godfather. So where all my political advocacy work started is when I was a little tiny kid, four, five, six years old watching these two men in Doraville, Georgia, do incredible civil rights work by infiltrating the Center of Disease Control. Wow. So I really was raised watching people infiltrate systems to create sudden change. And so that's where it all started, just watching these two people my whole childhood. In college, I wanted to be, Christine, I wanted to be a chemical engineer because <laughs> okay. I'm introverted. And okay. I was thinking, this will be great. I'll be in a lab and I won't in have to talk lab, to people. In a lab, you won't have to talk to anybody? Exactly, that part. Speaking of communication, you won't have to talk. <laughs> and then, sadly, my dad had Parkinson's disease. He wasn't doing well. So I needed to get a full-time job. Go, And I went to college at night. And I took an economics class. And what's great about economics is as long as you can talk a good game, there really is no right answer. Mm. And so it really worked for a full-time worker to go at night. Mm -hmm. I quit and it was a game changer for me. And economics really got me seeing how irrational humans are. It was mind blowing for me. And so that's where I really married the political advocacy and this fundamentals of 
economics about how irrational we are. So that's really where it started. That's amazing. I never would have guessed economics. That's your launch into politics and communications. Very interesting. Okay. Yeah. And I was already volunteering and working in politics, but I did a study. I always do the opposite of what everybody else is doing. This is my damage as a human. So mm -hmm. everyone was really into Adam Smith and capitalism. Mm -hmm. So I read The Great Transformation by Carl Pogliani, mm -hmm. which was written in the early 1900s. And it was a game changer just about how our whole system is set up in a way that doesn't work for humans. Mm -hmm. And so that was the start of it. And then just started really nerding out on human behavior, watching these campaigns and how we're not landing. We're not. People are being taught to do things that are fake, that don't work for them, that actually are not landing with the voters. Either. Oh, my gosh, that resonates so strongly with me. I feel like I didn't have those words to say that, but just being an observer and watching these campaigns, you know, thinking you're talking the wrong way. <laughs> you don't even realize people don't talk that way. Stop doing that. OK, totally. that, so that's what drew me to you in the first place is this notion of communications and how we're mostly getting it wrong. Well, we're getting it right, but we're being taught mm -hmm. to do things that are not natural to us. Mm -hmm. So what happens often in the system that we're in is when people experience physiological discomfort, one of the ways they soothe their discomfort is criticizing and trying to control other people. So there's a lot of consultants in politics that are experiencing discomfort with the real and the natural style of a human. Mm -hmm. So they're criticizing them to get them to make people more comfortable, more in their preference, which is coming off as fake, unapproachable, and people can't find themselves in it. And Can so you... a lot of this is led by discomfort. Very and criticism is often a sign of that candidate's talent. It's for them to make it bigger, but they're being taught to be weird. And so, Christina, right now, if I went... Hi, it's so great to be here. I'm so honored. Ew, it's gross. <laughs> yeah. But a campaign person would teach me to be more professional yeah. and just criticize the genius right out of the candidate. I love what you just said. Really quickly, what does physiology mean? Oh, gosh, I'm sorry. So there's this whole thing about there's IQ, which is skill and ability. There's EQ, which is emotional literacy, which a candidate needs to have nailed. But what's really driving behavior, ours and the way voters vote, because we all know people are irrational, is afference, your afferent quotient, your AQ. Don't Google it. You won't find it. This is content that I've been working on for 30 years. It, this is your physiology. So your afference is what's happening inside our physiology without us thinking about it. It's the temperature of our left side, blood flushing to the face biochemistry, acetylcholine, adrenaline, all these things are happening wow. before facts and feelings. So candidates are often taught, focus on facts and feelings, but what happens before that is afference. Okay. And so when a candidate is told to be professional, mm -hmm. their bracing and their afference is closed. Mm -hmm. So they don't think as quickly. And then the voters are more skeptical. That person's polished. They're not real. They're not landing because their mm -hmm. afference is closed. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. Totally mind-blowing. Um, taking a step back. So this podcast, you know, the, the audience are not so much 
people running for office, although there are. Yep. By far, it's folks who are advocates, progressive advocates who want to make change in their community. I started the podcast out of really just a labor of love and wanting to give back folks who have such spirit and energy and they, they come to the Capitol and this world needs to be translated. These processes need to be broken down and people need help navigating and speaking quite frankly, unless you're a well-funded organization, you're just not going to have access to lobbyists and consultants who explain all this stuff to you. Yeah. And so speaking from the perspective of an advocate who wants to super plain, get a lawmaker to vote on their legislation or to oppose what they're, whatever it is they want them to do, all of this is translatable, right? Because it's speaking mm -hmm. in a way that mm -hmm. people will actually listen to you and remember you. So let's start from that lens, if that's okay. And let's go back into before there's feelings and facts, there's, what was the name you had? Afferents. Afferents. Okay. Yeah. So it's how our operating system, our body is driving our behavior. It's driving our behavior almost more than anything else. So most of us were raised to just get over it. So the habit in our culture is you're having a feeling that doesn't feel good. Get over that feeling. Mm. Apply grit to do the whatever. Mm -hmm. So that feeling, that early feeling is often an ignition of our talent. It's actually not something to get over. It's something to use. Mm. But we've habitually soothed changes in our physiology mm -hmm. at the expense of outcomes. And so I, I sold my finance company and, and started Allegory like 16 years ago, training advocates and nonprofits and organizations about how to gain the commitment of other people without being fake. So how do I do that? How do I get yeah. solar to get voted for mm -hmm. without pandering and doing it in a weird way? Right. And it's That's often, it. Christina, right. the opposite of what we think. Yeah. We think we think we should go in there. So for a long time it was everybody thought it was facts. And so everybody then people finally learned I, I named my company Allegory because I was teaching storytelling and now everybody's thinking storytelling's the thing. But the problem is capitalism is co-opting storytelling. So now this habit is actually reducing outcomes because when an advocate goes in only telling a personal story that focuses the narrative away from the legislator, that legislator's afferents is transactional. They are actually more closed and less likely to budge or listen. And so... Storytelling is powerful. I'm not saying don't use it. We right. have to use it differently. Okay. We're tugging on the emotion isn't as effective anymore. As we've witnessed in national politics, we have the number one killer right now of children is guns. Mm -hmm. All the emotion around that isn't getting people to budge. That's right. So it's, it's seeing what everyone else is doing and then tweaking it in the way that it actually is effective. What actually makes people budge? Wow. Okay. So what would that be? What would an example of that be? I'm sitting down with a legislator before I even launch into anything. I should be paying attention to their afferents. Yeah. Or I should be paying, yeah. paying attention to my afferents. There's a whole kind of process here that I'm going to totally bastardize and make easy for the listeners to listen to, but it's a little more complicated than this. So the first step is do whatever you need to do to stay open. 
So go into that meeting in the exact same physiology you're in with your closest friends on a good day when you're not drinking. Like okay. be open okay. that many of us go in practiced. We go in with a message and practice and we're closed. And that is not going to get that other person open. That's going to get them in a transactional mindset. So for some advocates, rigor or study is what gets their afferents open. So study some of your facts and stuff, not to remember them, but to open your body. For some people, it's human connection. So for some people, it's talk with your best friend before going into that meeting so you're flooded with serotonin. For other people, I'll give one more example because I could go on and on. For other folks, it's exercise, like moving, getting their body moving, moving, going in ready. But most advocates that I've worked with, it's not getting in your head, sitting down and going mm. through scenario planning. Mm. I'm going to say this. They're going to say this. I'm going to say that most people do not get open from that. They get braced and weird. And wow. then when they say what they want to say and the legislator doesn't say what they think, they get totally hijacked and thrown off. Wow. So get out of your head is the easy answer. Get out of your head. Find you, whatever gets your body open before you go okay, into that. Okay, so how do I know when I'm open? When you say open, like what, can you translate that into something else? I think it's for most of us, there, this, is, this is so hard to do on a podcast because <laughs> I was really lucky to serve at NASA and mm -hmm. have my body tested as a test subject. So a lot of, it really blew my mind when they had me hooked up to all these jackets, making me do stuff even becoming aware of this afference thing. Mm. It's when we are open is when we're in the moment in our talent. So when we're not in our head over-processing what could or couldn't happen, when we're not bracing and we can almost feel it, we're breathing. It's the feeling we have when with our close friends. So mm. it's starting to notice how do I feel when I'm with my friends and do I feel that way in this meeting? And what do I do to get my body more alert and aware wow. and not wow. waiting for something to happen or trying to figure out what's going to happen, Right, right. trying to get it in this cognitive clarity. Wow. And I hate using the present moment because this isn't meditation because meditation doesn't work for every body. Right. Some afferents don't do meditation. So it really is rigor and study. And I have a book coming out on this soon okay, okay. about a practice to do it. It's studying our body and what gets us in the zone. Yeah. So to do that, we have to notice when we're in this zone. Most of us notice when we're not. So what makes me get there? So mm -hmm. let me answer the question a better way. Is it study? Is it movement? Is it talking to people? Those are three examples that I can just start noticing. Okay. So let me give you an example, Christina. So if I'm somebody who talking to people really gets me more open, mm -hmm. how I open the meeting with the legislator is going to either fill my AQ or deplete it. Mm -hmm. So if I like connecting with people, that opening is getting them talking. Mm -hmm. That opening isn't me sharing my story. It's me getting their story. Hey, how'd you become a legislator? Do the thing in the mm -hmm. opening that gets you in your best physiology. Mm. It's not telling your, many people, many candidates are told to tell their personal story that throws them off because they don't want to talk about themselves. Right, right. They right. want to talk about the community. So right. it's really each advocate trying to find what gives them delight and starting there. That's open. Can I use the word comfort? What makes you comfortable? What makes you feel at ease? 
comfort doesn't work. And let me tell you why. And you're going to, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to want to show this podcast because I'm making it even more complicated. But that's okay because it's showing how deep this shit is. So okay. Yeah. So <laughs> frustration, when we are frustrated and annoyed, at least half the time, Christina, that is a sign of our innate talent, actually. Frustration, discomfort is often the thing that's going to lead us to another way of thinking about something or driving it. Mm. So I don't use the word comfort okay. because open sometimes happens in discomfort. Okay. But it's okay. how we're facing that situation. There's some people on this podcast that pressure is clarifying for them. Mm-hmm. They're open is when there's tons of pressure and everyone around them is falling apart. But for them, they get better. AOC, Congresswoman AOC is an incredible example of this. Pressure is clarifying for her. The more pressure is applied, the better she gets. Her open state is in the adrenaline mm-hmm. of a uncharted territory. So mm. that's open. Okay. So it's not really comfort. It's knowing where your talent comes out. So some advocates are best in the tough questions. They are best when they're getting tough questions, but they're being taught to tell your personal story, ask them to vote and leave. You're never using your talent then. Wow. Okay. I will say that I am one of the people who says, because I mean, keep in mind, you have 15 minutes with these lawmakers, right? So I am a, I am totally a proponent of being, prepped in terms of who's doing what so that it's yeah. not chaotic yes per- um, totally what i'm hearing from you is before you even start that it is recognizing what gets you to that state of open and channeling that getting there and then maybe the roles come out of who does well and who's better in which situations yeah christina that's exactly right and it's really being loyal to the outcome so the, what is the outcome i want in this meeting Am I building rapport? Am I better understanding this legislator, what they care about, what's on their mind, what pressures are they facing in their district? Mm -hmm. So often if I'm lobbying for a legislator, I'm trying to understand the challenge they're facing Mm -hmm. so that I can find a connection between the challenge they're facing as a legislator who wants to be reelected and the outcome that I'm trying to get to. So often these meetings are more about giving them talking points rather than convincing them to change something. And I can give you an example if you'd like. Of course. Okay, so I'm going to cry. So when I was 15, my brother Gary pulled up at a motorcycle, asked me if I wanted to go for a ride. I said no. As he pulled away, he was 25. I thought he should put his helmet on, which was weird because none of us wore helmets. I, I rode dirt bikes when I was five. We all rode motorcycles. And it was the last time I saw him. He died on his bike that day. He didn't have a helmet on. I'm sorry. When I was 19, I decided to go talk to legislators about the helmet law. And what I did is I started by talking about Gary, that he would be alive if he had worn a helmet that day. Now, the legislator in that moment is thinking, I know where this is going. So they're starting to check out because they know where it's going. Right. And I said the last time I checked... It is my right to do what I want to with my head. And unless we're going to monitor cholesterol, which is killing more people than not wearing helmets, this is a slippery slope. We have got to vote this down. So whether or not podcasters agree with my opinion at that time Mm -hmm. that I didn't believe in the helmet law, what I did there was a twist. Mm -hmm. 
I twisted the person's that thought they thought I was going one way, and I gave them talking points that they could vote down the helmet law and talk about why in a way that their constituents would support them. So I gave them messaging, not just my opinion, but I gave them messaging. Now I've since changed my opinion on the helmet law. As we grow, we might change. Of course. But I use that example for advocates that we have to, it's not just convincing the legislator to change their mind or support us. Mm -hmm. It's giving them the messaging that they can give diverse audiences on why they did it. Mm -hmm. That's the step that we're missing. We're not helping them message their why. Wow. Okay. That is, first off, my deepest condolences. Mm. Very sorry for your loss. You have just, again, mind officially blown <laughs> here. <laughs> I totally get what you're saying, that maybe that person already agrees with you, and that's not the problem. <laughs> yeah. And that's not the issue at play. The issue at play yeah. is they need cover to vote the way you want them to. And do yeah. you give them that cover? Even without saying it, obviously you weren't saying, I'm telling you what to tell your constituents. Yeah. You did it almost subconsciously or for them subconsciously. That's really profound. Yeah. And it starts with, that's the sexy story at the end, but it was all the rigor that happens before we have that meeting. How are they voting? What do they care about? Watch some of their stump speeches. Pay attention to what they keep repeating. What is their social media spotlighting? When we know more about who we're talking to, we can talk the way they listen and commit. Mm. But too many of us go in, myself included, seriously. We go in, is the right word sanctimonious? We go in so righteous. Yes, yes. That of course, the environment, this is the right thing to do. And humans, when they experience discomfort, when their afference dips, a dip in our afferents isn't bad. How we soothe it messes with outcomes. So that legislator may not vote in their best human interest because they get uncomfortable and they soothe it with ridicule, for example, or right. demeaning or dismissing. Right. Right. These soothing mechanisms are real, but we go in righteous Yes. rather than fascinated by the human condition and mm. trying to figure out for this person how they're going to budge. Not mm. being annoyed and judgmental of them, seeing them as a human who is irrational. Yes, yes, That yes. if I can figure out their quadratic formula, maybe I can get them at least not resisting, at least not resisting what I'm yes. pushing. Are you struggling to generate the visibility and support that your legislative proposal needs? My Growth Marketer is a unique marketing firm that will elevate your legislative campaign strategy to achieve meaningful policy and political change in California. With over 15 years of experience, My Growth Marketer helps you frame the narrative, influence decision makers, and advance your policy agenda in Sacramento. Take a moment and schedule a conversation today. Go to mygrowthmarketer.com. Yes. Wow. Okay. Love it. Totally love it. Everything you're saying makes all the sense in that intuitively, a lot of advocates kind of get that, that you catch more, what is it, more honey with 
more flies with honey than vinegar. You're not going to go in and make somebody pay attention to you if you're starting with criticizing them. They're going to close and you're saying their soothing mechanism is going to be looking at you and saying what a crazy nut job this person is versus what is their obstacle that they need to overcome to get to a place of yes. And thinking that through before you even launch into the conversation, the prep. And seeing the conversation as also data collection. We go into these meetings so transactional. Got to get the vote. Got to get the vote. Mm -hmm. It is a process. It's data collection. It's hearing. When I am talking to a legislator, I am data collecting so that I can better craft my message. I may not even have an ask in that meeting. I'm better trying to understand what do they care about. I'm not trying to win an argument with them, not trying to convince them. I'm trying to data collect on what are the levers we could pull that will at least get them not to resist. That's the low bar for me because it makes me less angsty in the meeting. I have to change the vote. If we're too goal-driven, yeah, if we're too goal-driven, we miss all the signs that give us the end. Okay, so that is perfect segue because... One of the things I preach often is you don't, as an advocate or as an organization, you can't parachute in the day before a vote and expect that that person, that legislator who's literally never met you before, who doesn't know who you are, doesn't know about your organization or knows very little, and coming in strong that day, expecting that they're just going to get where you're coming from and modify their behavior because that is not a winning strategy. Instead, what I find works is becoming a known entity to them, building some kind of trust. You may not agree on anything, but becoming a known entity in the sense that if you're from their district, you go to their district events, you go to their community coffees, you become an engaged participant So that when they see you and you do come in at some point wanting them to do something, I look at it both ways in that they have a certain comfort level with you and a certain trust that you're not somebody who just came out of nowhere and who knows what your motivations are. And, you know, they are like, okay, I may disagree with this person 90% of the time, but I know they have integrity. I know that they legitimately care about the community. I know that at the end of the day, we all kind of want the same thing, which is safe schools, safe homes, whatever. And I'm going to be more receptive to what they're saying to me. But then you, on the other hand, I love this concept of data collection, which is watching and observing them from, again, not a place of immediately transactional, but who are they in the district? Who are they as a representative? What do you said? What do they talk about? What issues do they care about? And Data collection. I see it as relationship building. Maybe that's the words that I use. I see it as who is this person really on a genuine level so that I can engage with them as authentically as possible. Because if if there's anything that turns, I don't know, turns me off and I think turns a lot of lawmakers off is pandering. And yeah. I'm going to say what you want me to say and that kind of thing, which honestly, it's almost hard to escape from that in the world that we live in politics, right? But if you've had that time to know that they have kids and that their kids are young and that they struggle with childcare, that that's a thing for them or, or that they came 
from another country and became citizens as adults. And that's their their motivation for certain things or whatever. I think of it as relationship building, who this person is and what is most likely to motivate them to get where you want them to go. Yeah. Humans have a basic need to feel understood. That is driving so much of our behavior. Mm-hmm. And so reducing anonymity is real. So it's not being fake. So I see a lot of people like advocates try to fake relationship build. And a way that I know that is they talk crap about the person when they walk away from them. I'm talking to all the advocates right now that are being taught that strategy to be fake, to fake nice, to fake pretend, to get connected to them. It is not harming the legislator that you're being fake with. It is harming you. It is depleting your physiology and has you on your back step. Fake is not a strategy. It is better to not build relationships than to do it fake because Mm. the advocate over time experiences burnout because our afferents, when we are being that fake, we are bracing. And when we talk crap about people, that's often outside of our values. It is messing with our ability to do our talent. Mm -hmm. And so relationship building has to be, this is what my dad and my godfather really taught me. If you're going to infiltrate systems, a fake connection is reducing your advocacy, Mm. trying to find the humanity in that person. Yes. One, even just one thing is accelerating. Yes. It's funny, Christina, because I come from New Jersey. And so there is an element of me that has a hard time with being fake because I I just, I don't know, the East Coast, yep, you know, do. New York. Yep. You just say it as you see it. You make commentary and you kind of move on and you don't take things so personal so much as yeah. it just is what it is and you move on, right? And I found when I first moved to California that a lot of people were not jiving with that. It was like they were looking at it as though I was being unnecessarily harsh or I realized I had to modify my style a little bit. Because if you're not used to that, it's very abrasive, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. But what I didn't do was I I kept with, to a degree, what you see is what you get, right? I kept with, if you're going to ask me generally how I'm doing, I'm going to pretty much share my immediate feelings. I'm frustrated. Did you see what happened? That makes me very upset. Or I'm going through this really hard time, right? As I, I spoke with you beforehand, I'm going through this really hard time with my dad and it's impacting me. and. I think what has made me effective has been that, has not been that everything's always happy and I'm always great and everything's always wonderful. I find people gravitate to authenticity. They want to know Mm -hmm. what's actually going on. Now, it doesn't mean you show up and you just start unveiling your life story and crying in front of everybody. But I do think that the sense of just being open with them, that makes me feel comfortable is that I'm being to a degree as authentic as I can in that conversation. And then I find people resonate with that for the most part. It's, it's empathy, but not the way we're being taught to do it. It's empathy as a feeling, not a strategy. Mm. So it's seeing that legislator as a human being yeah. and trying to find... An example I'll give is 20-something years ago, there was a, when I was spending a lot of time in Washington, D.C., there was a gentleman that I just loathed every time I was around him, and I had to communicate. I had to kind of figure out how to reach him with some Mm -hmm. legislation, and I would just brace. It was horrible, and I found myself being super fake, like just, 
yeah, yeah, with yeah. my shoulder I, pads. I think suits. we can all say we feel that way. Yeah. And yeah. discovered that his sibling died when he was six and his family didn't have a funeral and that he really changed after that, that it really impacted him. And my brother Sean died when I, I was six and we didn't have a funeral. And I'm starting to choke up now, knowing that we had this shared, even though I didn't agree with any of his politics, that little nuanced detail just made my body more open because I could see that we shared something. And I never mentioned it. Hey, we both have dead siblings. That's right. gross. Right. But it's finding something to hold that makes me not become what I'm trying to shift. And a lot of advocates, we think we have to become that gnarly, icky, whatever political person. No, we don't. Yes. We can stay in our humanity yes. and still see people as who they are so yes. that we are more, our afference is open when we're there. So we don't have yes. to be fake. Yes. I love that so much. I think the way that plays out a lot in our world or in the capital world is he or she's a mod. He or she's a progressive. So you go in with already expectations of what you think the person's going to say. You make assumptions about whether you think they're ever going to agree with you. And there's judgment. There's judgment inherent in your conversation because you're walking in thinking, you know, this is a mod. This is a business Democrat. They're never going to agree with me. And I'm just going through the motions of having a conversation with them. And that strategy doesn't work, A, because mods are usually very issue specific. So for the most part, they might actually completely agree with you on one thing. And you're walking in thinking, well, they're bad on this issue. They must be bad on mine. And you don't know that for a fact. That person is probably sick and tired of being called a mod and being almost the subject of yeah. disdain. If you can be the one who's not walking in with immediate judgment, wouldn't they be way more receptive and way more remembering of you and actually maybe kind of more open to you? Yeah. So let's, can we nerd out for a second? Let's, let's nerd, nerd out for let's a second. Nerd out. So there's a great quote by Albert Maisley's, I may be saying Albert's last name wrong. I apologize for that. That is, tyranny is the deliberate removal of nuance. Hmm. It is one of the most powerful quotes that advocates, we, we have to tattoo somewhere on our body. Systems of oppression want us all to communicate at the buzzword level. They want us to see someone as a mod. They want them to be a legislator and us to be an advocate. They want us to remove nuance because that's how we're controlled. If I see someone as a progressive or a conservative, I am treating them different and I'm separate from the people that I don't identify with. So conservative think tanks, for example, have really co-opted this and they get it, that you use buzzwords, mm -hmm. you can turn people on each other. Mm -hmm. And so this is why storytelling was so powerful 15 years ago, because what it would do is it would get you and I nuanced. Mm -hmm. We are one story away from our closest friends. Yes. You and I shared a story before they started this podcast. We have shared history. We are now closer together. We have more trust biochemically. So any advocate that goes in um, seeing the buzzword of the person we are playing into these systems of oppression. We're playing into it. We have to get out of the food level and get out of the fruit level and get out of the apple level. We got to get into the Granny Smith that's a little overripe that has a worm in it. We got to get more nuanced with that individual. 
That is a game changer for advocacy. And I hate talking about my books or whatever, but I wrote a whole book on this. It's called Suede. It has a model in there that I am telling you it is nuance that is the game changer for advocates. But we're being taught to message in a sentence. Yes. That is not going to move people. Nuance moves people. Yes. Yes. So let's just be super real here. Where I struggle is there are some things that are so anathema to my being, right? Donald Trump, if you're telling me you support him, I have a really freaking hard time seeing you on some kind of level of we're together. Because in my mind, I am immediately like, if you support him and all the vileness that he represents, I can't grasp that that is acceptable to you Mm -hmm. and therefore illustrates your deep down values as a human being. There is a degree which I'm kind of okay with that. And I hate to say that because it makes me sound really closed and judgmental, but there are lines to me where I'm like, if you are okay with this, I don't care that I'm not going to find unity with you. But tell me, tell me I need to change that perspective. I would never tell you you need to change that perspective. My whole thing about being an advocate is to stay loyal to the outcome. Mm-hmm. What is the most honest, strategic behavior and process I can do that doesn't drain me? So Christina, never betray yourself to get an outcome. If it is betraying yourself to be in proximity with somebody who has a series of thinking, then don't do that. Like that advocates, we're not meant to betray ourselves to get something to happen. So that's the first thing I say. We know where we're best. For some of us, our physiology lives in dopamine. And so getting closer to a Trump lover to use them as data collection, to try to find their humanity so we're not like a spy. This is the thing. Methods of change, social systems change using tension, um, discomfort, infiltration, and protest. So protesting that is part of the process. So every time we say, no, I am not gonna talk to you because I cannot believe you voted for somebody who X, Y, Z, That is part of a strategy to create social change. Infiltrating, getting closer to people, seeing their humanity is also a strategy. These strategies all work together. Using art to move people, that's another Mm -hmm. strategy. So what we have to get out of as advocates is that I have to do all four strategies. No, Mm -hmm. pick the one that you're best at. We got to get out of this either or strategy. They all work in concert. So for me, I joined the Rotary Club in my 20s because I needed to get closer to people that were saying things to me in business that made me want to punch them in the face. (laughs) And I'm like, I got to get closer to these people because they are driving a lot of the systems and I got to understand them. Well, I am still super close. Like when I had breast cancer, people from 10 years ago that I knew then did so much for me. We didn't agree on every policy, but I could see their humanity. Right Now, not all of them I'm close with. Yeah. So it's, it's, we got to get out of this either, or that's actually a soothing mechanism of discomfort. Yeah. It's okay to tell somebody, I never want to talk to you again. Like I can't even with you. I try to hold myself to a standard. I'm I'm certainly not going to talk to folks. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the sense of finding commonality, I'm very reluctant to do it because I draw my judgment and conclusion and it's done. 
But I feel you so much in the sense of like, there's different strategies that accomplish different things. A, don't betray yourself and your principles, but recognize that there's just different ways to get different things to happen. And maybe right now that's where I'm at. And maybe tomorrow I can be in a different place where I may be more open or receptive to hearing their story or whatever. I want to be the person that's like, I can find our common humanity because I recognize that we have to do that. But not everyone deserves that level of energy. So all advocates, including you, including me, Christina, if it's depleting you to find your common humanity, don't do it then. Mm. This is the thing that as advocates, find the strategy that works for you. This is so impactful to me. I'm recognizing my own humility here. I like to think, you know, that I've been there, done and know everything. I'm laughing at myself now, right? I like to think that. But Thanks. you've you've challenged me and I so love that. And this has just been a fabulous conversation. And I want to have more of them, but I want to also be respectful of your time. So I will link in the notes, the books, the things, the websites, the stuff, so people can find more. What would be the final piece of advice that you would give to folks, something actionable that they can walk away with and start practicing? I think get out of your head. When you're walking the halls of the Capitol, when you're in rooms, start getting out of the head and notice what makes people listen and do more of that. Notice what makes resistance and conflict and checking out. Don't do that. The goal of an advocate is to spend more time in our innate talent and getting out of our head and, and seeing it more as a, a play. What For this person, what's going to make them listen and how do I do that naturally? Mm -hmm, so it's mm -hmm. being a little less brutal to ourselves. I just see a lot of us burning ourselves out and that this doesn't have to be that way. And I am doing storytelling and little pods for advocates. People can go to christinaharbridge.com and sign up for it. Doesn't happen often. So don't expect any, I don't send newsletters. It's nothing like that. But I am doing Zooms for people. They're a couple hours long and I do vet people. So it's only people that are working on things I care about. Sorry, oh, I'm the same way, same way. If, if folks want to sign up for that, it's, it, we keep it low cost mm -hmm. and it's, it, and only join if you want to actually practice. So it's not me talking. Everybody does it. We yes. have you. And the reason we're doing that, Christina, is so more advocates know each other so you mm -hmm. can help each other. Mm -hmm. So the goal is in that Zoom room for people to really bond and say, "Who do you, this is who I know. Let me get you in there. Nice. Because a lot of the challenge, Christina, is as advocates, we're doing it at the wedge of the thing we care about, where if we start connecting, yes. if I'm working on the environment and you're working on health, I can help you get in to yes. somebody. And yes. so we need to do more of that. So that's, I'm giving two. We've got to connect more with people outside our silo of what we're mm -hmm. advocating for. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. reach out to me if you want to be involved in that. And I'm happy to get you in those cohorts. Oh my goodness. My heart is so full right now. Thank you so much. You have just thrown so much value out and I respect that. And I know that you didn't need to do that. So I want to recognize you and say thank you so much. Christina, thank you for everything that you're doing for people, including this podcast. It really matters because yeah. it's like crawling on your belly over broken glass to mm -hmm. advocate for things. So having really folks is. that are willing to invest in us, I just appreciate it.
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you're finding this show to be valuable, please go ahead, hit that subscribe button, share episodes with your networks and send me your feedback. I really appreciate that. I will link to my socials in the show notes. Thank you very much. And I will talk with you soon.